Jesus Christ. We've talked about the church. We looked at how He has enabled us with the spiritual gifts. And I'm looking forward to looking at being committed to the Comforter in His ministry. Not just Christ and the church, but the Comforter as well. But we're going to put that on pause. We'll look at that, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. And as we know, there's this ominous, foreboding uh, virus that is out there. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I want you to take your Bibles, first of all, and turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll get there in just a little bit. But I want to remind you this morning that this is not the first pandemic to hit America, even in my lifetime. And certainly not since we as a nation have been keeping track. We could go all the way back to the 1918 influenza, for example, that infected nearly a third of the world's population before it passed off the scene. There's been other threatening viruses that appeared seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, Severe acute respiratory syndrome just a few years ago called SARS. Of course, you may or may not remember the H1N1 influenza of 2009, which was also called the swine flu, which is estimated to have killed anywhere between 150,000 and 575,000 people worldwide. That's staggering compared to the numbers we're seeing through this current pandemic. Let us not forget the Ebola virus of just a few years ago. Here's all I'm saying. We live in a sin-cursed earth. We live in a fallen world in which viruses and plagues and illness still thrive. We have seen terrible things roll through this world, and I can almost guarantee that this will not be the last. As wonderful and as great a place as Shelby, North Carolina is to live and raise a family, I'm here to remind you this morning that it's not the New Jerusalem. It's not heaven on earth. You know, it's as true today as it was in Paul's day. And because of our understanding uh, of the things in this world, I, I think that we get tunnel vision. What is tunnel vision? Seeing only that which is in front of us without seeing the bigger picture of everything else. And I will tell you, when I look back and think about the H1N1, the swine flu, there was not the hyperbole in the press that there is with this virus. Uh, Influenza, I think I have that in here somewhere, has, uh, I skipped a whole half a page of, of statistics. The new coronavirus has led to more than 156,000 illnesses that are recorded. By the way, with a, a shortage of test kits, there's a very difficult way to determine how many people literally have that. And all I will tell you is that skews the numbers towards the fatality rate of people that get it because you can't uh, uh, verify 
everyone that's had it up till now. So I've heard everything from 3.5% mortality rate to as low as a 0.5 mortality rate. By the way, I was telling Missy this, it's interesting, after you've read one or two articles like I have, you become an expert, right? But I'll tell you this, compared to the flu, it's caused an estimated 34 million illnesses worldwide, 350,000 uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's just in the United States, 34 million illnesses by the flu, 350,000 hospitalizations, and listen to this, 20,000 deaths in America alone. And yet, what is the difference? Well, scientists have studied the seasonal flu for decades. They can give you with pretty much uh, great accuracy on what the mortality rates are, what the hospitalization rates are going to be, because uh, uh, they've studied it from season to season. But in contrast, very little is known about this COVID-19. And I will tell you, if there's one thing that people fear, it is the fear of the unknown. So because it's unknown, we're not sure how far it's going to spread, how many uh, what the mortality rate is going to be. I will tell you that uh, from what I have read, from age 60 or 65 and older, it becomes a much more serious situation as that age group, especially as you climb into the 80s, becomes much more susceptible to some of the associated problems like pneumonia that can develop. And so uh, it's not a time for panic. It's not a time for hysteria. Yes, it's a time for caution. It's a time to, to be wise, uh, but I, I, I don't look to cancel our services at this point. I'm not saying that we never will, all right? And they may tell us that we have to at some point, and we are still under the authority of the government at this point. Uh, we will then look for ways to still connect. Uh, we may do video. I've always said we don't do video services because we don't want to encourage a stay-at-home church, but if we're encouraging you to stay at home at some point, we may have to change that, uh, uh, that, 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 that uh, modus operandi there. And so, if it is the fear of the unknown that drives this, and I believe much of it is, it tells me why so many people are afraid of death altogether, because they have no idea what is coming next. The fact that there's been these other pandemics, the fact that, that the flu itself is, is much more dangerous, numerically speaking, uh, tells me that fear is a terrible motivator. Drive people to do things they wouldn't normally do, to treat other people the way that they wouldn't normally treat them. And I want to make sure that we as Christians are grounded, that we have the right viewpoint and worldview and perspective that as we go out, we're going to be able to give God glory and treat others in a Christ-like manner. I want you to turn with me to chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise, us, uh, raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things 
are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But through our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This morning I want to take a few minute, minutes and, and look at this passage, and, and I believe in this we'll see Paul's transient trials and his timeless triumph, and we'll finish looking at his tenacious target. All right? So let's first look then at Paul's transient trials. I want you to think about what Paul has gone through in his life. I looked at my records. I've preached through 1 Corinthians maybe twice since I've been in the ministry. But I've never been through a verse-by-verse exegesis study of 2 Corinthians. But in this passage, he is going to write just a few chapters later about some of the tribulations and trials that he has already been through. So don't think just because uh, it's going to be some seven or, or, or six or seven or eight chapters later that it happens so much later in his life. No, he sits down and, and really writes this book in one sitting. And so in chapter 4, as he is talking about the tribulations of life and how that God can work, by the time you get to chapter 11, he's going to remind us of what those tribulations are. Turn your Bibles. Hold your place here. We'll be back. But turn your Bibles over to chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 23. Chapter 11, verse 23 starts, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Verse 24, of the Jews. Five times received I forty stripes, saved one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul refers to all of this as light affliction. Now, when we hold this up as the standard and the bar, we would barely make it through one or two of these at most, let alone the entire encyclopedic afflictions of which Paul had suffered. And yet he says, it's light affliction. I'll give you a hint. He's not saying really that these are of light weight. What he's getting at is the comparison. He's about to make a comparison saying, compared to something, this is very minimal. But I want you to understand there's going to be a focus that Paul has that is not so much on his affliction, not so much on what he is going through, but he, does, he has a long view. He has the view of what is important. Now, I will grant you most and much of what Paul is referring to 
in chapter 11 is, re, is referring to persecution he received because of his faithfulness to preach the gospel. But I will tell you, that is not the only affliction he was going through in this passage. He said he was in a shipwreck, a day and a night in the deep. Listen, those things that, that really probably because of circumstances and weather, which we know is at the hand of God. And so in this, we can see God allowing Paul to experience this or different aspects of affliction. Now, we don't, we don't really enjoy that, that mentality. We think, well, the devil's trying to get at me, or the world is, is after me. But do you realize that God can allow things into your life that will help us to glorify Him? I know I preached a message very similar to this not that long ago, but as I think about this idea of the COVID-19 and, and the pandemic and, and how everything is closing down around us, I, I want you to understand we have a time right now, no better time in the entire history of the world, in my opinion, no greater time, as a brother was telling me earlier, to live than right now to be able to herald the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Listen. We have people that are terrified to go out. We have people that are afraid to, to, to answer their door because they have no idea what's on the other side. We have a message of hope that should redound. That just means overflowing to the community in which we live. You know, Peter echoes Paul's thoughts here from... 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. And Paul is just reminding us that, that we ought to, in this life, expect some kind of tribulation, some kind of, of hardship, those things that we would consider affliction in this life. Don't think that surprisingly. Listen, the only people that ought to be surprised about affliction and difficulties and trials are the people on TBN. But I'll tell you, their theology is off and it's wrong. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, Paul, who was uh, really uh, the model Christian, we're still following him as he followed Christ. Paul is one of, I believe, the most intelligent uh, authors, or, or penmen, excuse me, uh, of the book. He is telling us that we ought to expect light affliction. Peter, who is probably not the most educated penman of the New Testament, is reminding us that we are going to face trials in this life. So on the spectrum, not of spirituality, but, but just on, uh, on life walking, both of them said, listen, it's part of the natural life in which you're going to live. But Peter as Paul will shortly, gives us some hope in verse 13. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when 
His glory shall be revealed. You may be glad also with exceeding joy. Paul calls all of this light affliction temporary. Look again at verse uh, 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's just for a moment. One author said, this too shall pass. And that person was speaking uh, about the trials and hardships of life. But I want to remind you, it's not just the trials and the hardship of life that is passing. It is life itself that is passing by. James 4.14 reminds us, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Job said in chapter 7, verse 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and spent without hope. You know, when we're young, we feel invincible, nearly immortal, like you're going to live forever. But as you age, it seems that time begins to pass uh, so rapidly. And you find yourself in the winter of life wondering, where has all the time gone? It's interesting to realize that even just shy of 50, I've lived for less than one one-hundredth of recorded history. In comparison, Adam lived one-tenth of recorded history. But even at that, it is nothing more than a vapor. And if our life is nothing more than a vapor, how much shorter is a month or two months of affliction, or a lifetime even, of affliction? In comparison to eternity, it is short. It is short. When Pharaoh asked Jacob how old he was in Genesis chapter 47, verse 9, Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Let me just say right now, there's not anyone in this room that's going to make it to 130. And you know what Jacob said about his life? Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. He said, even at 130, it's just a couple of days it felt like. Moses reminds us in the Psalms to number our days. Why? Because our life is transient. It's moving. It's passing away. And the trials we face in this life are even more temporal than that. And so Paul calls it light affliction. Now, you might take ex exception to that. Pastor, you don't understand my difficulties, my struggles, my trials. You don't understand my circumstances. You might be thinking, what if I catch the virus. Well, to, to a great extent, I, I, would, I would have to agree and, and say with most of you, you're right. I may not understand your trials and your life circumstances. And I may not understand right exactly what the Lord is doing in your life and, and why God has allowed these things to come in. But I can tell you this, I know someone who does know and understands exactly what you're going through. And his name is Jesus. So Paul really isn't saying that the things that he went through are not heavy in and of themselves. They are. I don't know anybody that would want to spend a, a, a couple hours in the middle of the ocean, let alone a day and a half. I was reading not that long ago the story of Eddie Rickenbacker. I'm not sure that he was a Christian, but he believed in the power of prayer. And he was a... Uh, uh, 
a World War I fighter pilot, and uh, he was uh, retired from the Army, and years later, as they were gearing up for World War II, he was supposed to give a secret message to General Douglas MacArthur. And on his way over uh, to the foreign uh, uh, field in which MacArthur was, his plane, uh, navigation, was malfunctioning, and they were thousands of miles, about 1,800 miles off course, and they ran out of gas and fuel, and they had to ditch the plane. And they spent 25 days just floating in the water. It, several of his crewmates had died, and he made them have a prayer meeting in the middle of the ocean. And just a few minutes after their first prayer meeting, a seagull in the middle of the ocean landed on his head. He attributes that directly to the prayer that they had prayed. They were able to get that and eat parts of that, and they were able to fashion a hook, and they were able to stay alive. And I'll not give you the whole story, but I will tell you this. He lost about 60 pounds, but just within, I think it was two or three weeks of getting back, he gained about 20 pounds back and went and finished to deliver that message or give that message to General MacArthur. We still don't know what that message was, but it must have been pretty important. But I'll tell you two things. One, the message is not important as the message we have to give this world. And second of all, he looked at that and said, this is a minor setback. I'm still going to accomplish the message and the mission by delivering the message that was given to me. And my friends, how much more than as we as Christians ought to look at our uh, 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 trials as light affliction in light of the, the, the uh, directive that we've been given, the message that we've been given to give to the world. All I'm saying is it should not stop us while it might slow us down. Or even if it does slow us down, it should not stop us. When I, when I look at verse 17, it says, for our, light of, uh, uh, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He is saying that, that really, in comparison to the glory that God can receive, that is what makes those afflictions light. I'm not minimizing the coronavirus or COVID-19. I'm not minimizing the, the effects that it's had, obviously, on, on our economy, on our daily lives, on the school systems, and, and all those things. But what I am saying, in comparison to what the opportunity that we have, this is a very small thing, and it's nothing more than a blip on the radar. But how we respond to it, and how we live our lives, and how we are able to share the gospel message with those that are afraid, that is what's going to have eternal weight and eternal glory. And if we get so in a panic about what, making sure we have enough supplies in our bathroom, if you know what I'm talking about, right? Or if we're so concerned about making sure that we're stocked up, that we forget the whole purpose that we are put here on this earth and left here, not called up to glory after we're saved, then, then listen, we're no better than those that are without. Because we've lost focus on that which is important. Paul is telling us, yeah, uh, those things I've been through, uh, I've been through some things. He's going to enumerate them just a couple of chapters later and does that, but he still calls it light affliction in comparison to the possibility of the glory that be, can be given to God.
This is another way of saying that God will do a work in you and through you as he allows these afflictions into your life. It is the contrast between that which is temporal and that which is timeless. So we see Paul's transient trials. They're pretty serious. They're, they're pretty uh, awful. One or two of those would be enough to cause many of us just to throw in the towel. And yet time and time and time again, he pushes on. And, and really, why? Because of his focus. His focus. He re re reiterates his focus in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. What is he saying? Well, I want you to now look at, at Paul's timeless triumph. Go back all the way up to verse 14. How is it that he could go through all of these different things, fearful things, things that we would be afraid of? None of us would stand in line to go through any of the things that he went through. But how is it that he's able to say that they're light? How is it that he's able to say, listen, the, the real focus ought to be on the glory that can be given to God. Uh, how is it that he's able to, to focus on, on that which is not seen instead of that which is placed right in front of him? Isn't that really the temptation for all of us? To have to deal with those things that are put on our plate that we have to, that we have to live through? Now listen, the truth of the matter is we have to live life. Don't you hate in times like this when you act? You just want to show them your list. No, it's on the list. I really need that. How is it, even though that we have to live life, e even though that, that uh, we have to go through our daily routine, how is it that we don't get caught up with the mundane? How is it that we don't focus only on that which is in front of us? I can feel spend more time in God's Word instead of Drudge Report or Fox News or whatever news outlet of choice, if we'll spend more time in God's Word, we'll have the right view and perspective of what our purpose on this world is and not be so uh, fixated on the temporal. That's the first thing. How is it that we're going to have triumph from God's Word? When we start drifting from God's Word and we're spending more time I'd like, I'd, listen, I'm just going to challenge you to ask yourself, how much time am I spending being fed from the networks, being fed from the news agencies, uh, allowing this to feed my mind as compared to allowing God's Spirit to feed me? And what I fear is we get 15 minutes of, of uh, vegetables in, in, in about an hour and a half or two hours a day of strychnine. Let's be careful about what we're feeding ourselves because it takes our focus from the eternal and puts it onto the temporal. If we're going to have a timeless triumph, we need to make sure that we are feeding us our, our, ourselves those things that are going to help us to stay focused on the eternal. You know, in, in our day and age, people do everything they can to, to understand death and, and the meaning of life and, and to prepare for it. Yet, our world still has no answer to death. It's been written, and I like this, this quote, until you are prepared to die, you cannot really be prepared to live. 
Everything I'm telling you this morning is based on the premise that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm about to to answer the question I asked just a moment ago, which said, what allowed Paul to focus on the eternal instead of the temporal? Well, he said, first of all, is what is feeding himself. But second of all, he understood and focused on whom? Not what? It's not about focusing on something other event than what's going on here. It's focusing on a person. Go back up to verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus raised up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. You know what he was saying? He's saying, I can focus on spiritual things because I have a God in Jesus Christ who is raised up from the dead. You know what he's saying right here? If I could just re-paraphrase, if I could just give you a, a, a pastor paraphrase right here. I'm not rewriting the Bible. I'm not adding to. Hopefully I'm not taking away. But here's what Paul is saying. Much as the, as the hymn writer wrote, he's saying, my hope is in the Lord. That's what he's telling us. And my friends, if you go home with one thing this morning, if there's anything that you can remember, uh, just remember this, your hope ought to be in the Lord. It's not in the CDC. It's not in the, the certainly not in, in the WHO. I don't trust any organization that poses themselves after a question. I'm sure there's probably a government agency called the what and the when. No, that's the IRS right there. But our hope as Christians springs from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what is pinned on. Our hope truly is in the Lord. The joyful message of the early church has been and always will be the victory of Jesus Christ over death, hell, We need to return to that perspective and that focus in our lives today as well. Oh, listen, Paul had trials in his life, but he understood that they were transient. They were moving right along just as quickly as his life was. Uh, He understood that there is the possibility for a timeless triumph. It's not just victory for today, but it's victory every day. But he also knew that he had had to have a tenacity to aim towards his target. Now, really, I would say this. It's God's tenacious target because God is tenacious and working in us in order to to get something in us that was not there before. Let me just word it another way. Look at verse 15 again. For all things are for your sakes. That's what he's telling us. The things that are in your life are for you. To do what? Well, he goes on. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many. You know what he's getting at there? He's really saying that as these things work in your life, you're going to be able to glorify God, and that's going to affect those around you, and people are going to be thankful to see God working in your life. Isn't that interesting? He was saying the afflictions are for your betterment. 
because things are going to work out together for good to them that love God, that are called according to his purpose. Now, he words it a little different in Romans 8, 28, but he's saying the same exact thing right here in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 15. God is using these things to minister to others and to bring glory to his name. Now, how is God glorified through our trials? How is it that, that uh, we are able to give God glory and other people be able to see that? He says very carefully that the abundant grace, God gives grace. That's how he's glorified. When we recognize his grace in our lives, when we're able to tell others that, listen, uh, we don't have to panic. Uh, there is a God in heaven. Uh, he's still on his throne. We don't have to fear a virus or a pandemic or whatever it is. Our hope is in the Lord. That's what allows Paul to say in verse 18 then, that he's not looking on the things that are seen, but on the things that are not seen. Uh, for the things which are seen, he's saying, those are temporal. Those are passing away. That's not where our focus needs to be. Our focus needs to be on the eternal, on the things that are not seen. You know, our focus cannot be on the problems of the moment. Yeah, we have to live through them. That's just part of, a, of being a human being is living through whatever it might be. But I, I look back and think about the, I don't remember what it's called, Black Tuesday, whenever the stock market crashed in 1920. Some people thought that was such a debilitating day because they lost their fortunes that they're foolish enough to take their own lives. But you know, I didn't do the research, but it was within three years, I believe, that all the losses had been regained. What foolishness. What, what happened? They were looking at the temporal, and they lost sight of the eternal. I was reading this week about three naval ships that were commissioned in 2014. It was the USS New York, the USS Arlington, and the USS Somerset. Each of them is a San Antonio uh, warship, and they're given a classification LPD for landing platform dock, which means they, they would carry Marines to wherever they needed to go. They'd be the front line battle, on the, on the front line of battle. The New York is about 684 feet long, and it can carry up to 800 Marines. Also has flight deck uh, that can handle helicopters, even the, the big two uh, Osprey tilt rotor aircraft. Each one of those cost over a billion dollars to make. There's a lot of investment going into each one of those ships. But they're considered a cutting-edge LPD warships. What I thought was most interesting and most striking about each one of these ships is not what they can do or how much they cost, but really what they represent. The USS Arlington contains steel salvaged from the west wall of the Pentagon. The keel of the USS Somerset, named for Somerset County, Pennsylvania. And it contains 22 tons of steel from the crash site of United Flight 93. And every time it leaves port, there's two words that are called over the intercom system. Let's roll. 
emblazoned on the ship's crest of the New York are the words, never forget. And when the Navy took delivery of the Arlington, first responders from the Pentagon were there to welcome the ship to its home port of Newport News, Virginia. Each one of those has a memorial room on the ship that has artifacts from the crash site. The New York has uh, a helmet from the firefighter, one of the firefighters that had been there. Let me tell you something. The same ought to be true for the Christian. You see, that which had been through tremendous trials was used to be part of something that was much stronger, much something that had much more meaning than the, 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 the vessel itself. And all I'm telling you is that the same way that a steel hull gives the strength to ship, and that steel hull might be taken from the wreckage of something, of some disaster, God can take those trials in your life and build around it something that has so much more meaning and purpose and something that is stronger and better than it ever was before. That is the purpose of God's trials and afflictions in our life. And compared to the glory that we can give God, these afflictions really are of little consequence compared to the eternal. I'm going to tell you this today. We as a church, we as Christians cannot and I'll tell you, as far as I'm concerned, will not be identified or defined by COVID-19. It's temporary. It's something that's going to pass off the scene. And if it never does, in the whole scheme of, of the history of the world, it would still be passing right on by. But we can allow it to work in us a faith and a trust that will be seen in the community in which we live, and brushing the shoulders. And as people are frightened, we can have a security and a hope that they need to hear about. That is the promise that Paul is giving us here. We can't be so short-sighted to think that everything revolves around whatever the headlines say. So I encourage you, make sure you're getting more of this than of this. And make sure that you're spending time with God, making sure that your viewpoint and that you're going to have victory in this area of fear. But even more than that, make sure that you're focused on the Lord, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and allow Him to do a work in your life that brings Him glory, that others can look and say, praise the Lord for what He's doing in that person's life. I'm going to read the passage one last time. I think we have a little bit better understanding of what it's saying now. And I think sometimes as we break it down, I've kind of went backwards, started at 18 and worked the way back. But I want to read it in the, in the sequence that Paul gives it in verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all, the thing, for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound, that means overflowing, to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 
worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This old body may wear out, but your soul is going to live somewhere forever. And we can be sure that as we spend time in God's Word, we can be renewing the inward man, renewing the mind, the Bible calls it. I'm thankful for those promises. I'm thankful for the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. And I just want to say with Paul one last time, our hope is in the Lord. The invitation today is not going to be come forward. But what it is, is I'm asking you to align your focus. Make sure, make sure that you're not hanging on every word from the news site. But you ought to be hanging on every word of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the promise that you've given to us. I thank you that we have a hope that the world needs 